Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Happy 4th of July. Awesome. This is the day we get to all be pyros and not get in trouble for it. Yeah, Fourth of July fireworks. Uh, it was kind of funny. Last year we went over to uh, my wife's cousin's house to uh, watch fireworks, and they had they spent a, more than they should have on fireworks. And uh, you know, Josh would probably kill me for saying this because he's he's youth pastor at another church or associate pastor at another church, and if he sees this online, he'll probably be embarrassed. But I'm going to say it anyway. So Josh, I'm outing you. Um, he was setting up mortar shells, you know, the big ones that blow up in the sky, and uh, he didn't anchor down the, the, uh, the cylinder like you're supposed to, and he went to set one off, and the cylinder tipped over, and he caught it up his shorts, and it blew up. And you know, like, back in the day, the old, like, Incredible Hulk with, like, Lou Ferrigno? Like, after the Hulk, like, shrunk back down to Bruce Banner, how his, le- you know, pants were all shredded and stuff like that. He, his pants were all, like, shredded up, and he's, like, hobbling to his house. I'm like, dude, you okay? And he's like, no, I don't think I'm okay, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lesson learned, hopefully. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. But uh, we love fireworks. And, uh, but today is a day in America. We celebrate our freedom, our independence from Great Britain. And I, I think we miss that. Even though we understand it, we miss it. We miss that this is a day to celebrate freedom. There was once a day when America was not free, where everyone in the nation was in subjugation to a monarch across the ocean. We are subservient to their oppressive tactics, the dominating regime, where we didn't have freedom of speech. It was a crime to speak against the crown. We didn't have freedom of religion. If we didn't fit the, into the state church, you could be jailed, even burned at the stake. There are things that we take for granted each and every day in our nation because we don't remember our history, remember our past. And today we celebrate the day we declared freedom and release of the dominating oppression of the British government. Some interesting facts about Independence Day you may or may not know. I found this on rochester.edu. Did you know that July 4th, 1776 was not the day we won our independence? That was the day we declared our independence. Matter of fact, the war began on April 19th, 1775 with the exchange of gunfire at Lexington in Kentucky or in Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts. The Revolutionary War actually did not end until the signing of the Treaty of Paris, September 3rd, 1783. So though we celebrate today as Independence Day, it's not the day we won our independence, it's the day we proclaimed we were independent, and then had to proceed to fight a battle to realize that independence. During the Revolutionary War, at no time did more than 45%, less than half, of the colonists actually support the war, and at least a third of the colonists fought for the British. So it wasn't like all America versus all of British. It was actually uh, more like a civil war. Americans were not only rebelling against the mother country, they were fighting each other. 
A higher percentage of the population of our country died in the American Revolution than any other war we've ever fought. And as a result, more people who lived through the American Revolution knew someone who died or lost a loved one in that war. And also, many Americans switched allegiance and changed sides during the Revolution, depending on who was winning. You, you know somebody like that? Like when you were watching Michigan versus Michigan State? football or basketball and they're like oh michigan oh michigan state then the other one starts to win and like ah it really doesn't matter i'm gonna root for michigan right Th this is what they were doing during the revolutionary war they're like Who whose flag is higher okay we're gonna root for them because hopefully if when it's over we don't get in trouble uh one tavern in new jersey uh which is found on route one today the innkeeper would actually send a servant out to see if there was a coming army, a coming military battalion, and depending on which army it was, determined which flag he was going to fly that day. So, so it's like, whoever, whoever's coming, we're just going to fly that, because they really didn't want their tavern getting burnt to the ground. That was kind of what they lived in. But it was definitely a different time and a different generation. But I'm thankful for the brave men and women who stood for those founding principles, who stood passionately for and risked it all for future generations that we could live in freedom. And this is why we need to pray for our nation, because those freedoms are under assault, unlike any other time in history. And it's not from an invading army, it's from our own nation. It's from within our own country. Though this war is fundamental to the American story, there is a war that is fundamental to the Christian story. There's been a war raging on, not just in one nation, but over all the earth, in all nations, between two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, he says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual realm, a spiritual world that is fighting you because they want domination and control. And it's not just every once in a while, it's all the time. They are implementing strategy continually to try to prevent the kingdom of God from advancing and to keep people trapped and enslaved to their powers and their purposes. There are two opposing rulers. The God of this world that's our enemy, we call him the devil or Satan, and then God who is above all gods, our Father who art in heaven. And though the enemy has seized control over much of the earth, when he convinced mankind to rebel in the garden, when, when man chose to side with the enemy to believe Satan over God, we handed our authority of this world over to the enemy, and he seized control. God also in, uh, handed over at... Um, the Tower of Babel, he handed over authority of the nations over to this fallen realm because man continued to rebel against him. The power of the enemy has been used to enslave humanity to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything they do is to prop themselves up as gods and to destroy those that are subservient to them. They lie, they deceive, they coerce. To convince us that God has no power, and that he's not good. But God sent Jesus to break the cycle of dysfunction. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that rather than death, whoever believed in him would have eternal life. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, the power and authority the enemy had over the planet, over humanity, was broken, and Jesus delivered us out of the power and into our freedom. And over and again in Scripture, we read about the freedom Jesus came to give in Acts 16.31. It says, And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Which means it's not just for you, but your whole family can be saved. It's not just for uh, one race. It's for all the races. It's not just for one group of people. It's for everyone. All who call on the name of Jesus can be saved. Saved out of what? Out of the enemy kingdom and brought into the kingdom of God. John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the people who believe in him, You are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? That will set you free. So you believe, and you can know the truth, and when you know the truth, it brings your freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us what? Set us free. He set us free so we can be free. John 8, 36 says, If the Son has set you free, you are truly free. Are you catching a theme here? Jesus came to break the shackles of the enemy, to break the spiritual dysfunction so that we could walk free in this life. Free to be what? Free to be the sons and daughters of God without condemnation, without the inability to overcome sin so that we can be who God created us to be. That our identity would be in him and not in anything else. Set apart, holy. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. And God, thank you for bringing our freedom. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would highlight your truth today, that we would be made free, that you would begin to break off every lie that we've believed that is hindering our understanding of who we are in Christ. God, that you'd break off every stronghold of fear that keeps us from being faithful and experiencing your blessings and power over the enemy. God, I pray against every hard heart that resists Bring, like hearing and understanding anything new that might uh, risk or cause us to change because we're afraid of what that might require. God, I just pray that every lie, deception, tactic, and plan of the enemy would be broken now in Jesus' name. And by the blood of Christ, God, we ask that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, minds that can understand, and hearts that are ready to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus died and rose again, he appeared at the end of the age to provide the once and for all sacrifice that would cover all sin for all time. And that is for the entire world. So all the sin that could ever be committed has been covered by the blood of Jesus. But access to that forgiveness requires you put your faith and trust in that sacrifice to give God your heart, to give God your life. Before the Lord, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for your, as your Savior for, uh, to be your Lord, you have received him, you have a relationship with God. Before the Lord, right now, the scripture tells us, your spirit, the eternal essence of you, what makes you you, like when you die and you stop breathing, you, know, you notice at, at a funeral when you see the open casket, that's the person's body, but it doesn't look like the person. They change. Why? Because what made them them is no longer in them. 
It's your spiritual nature, your eternal essence, what makes you you. That right now, the scripture says, is seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Think about it. When you came out of the kingdom of darkness and went into the kingdom of light, your eternal nature became one with the Spirit of God, and you are now seated with Jesus, which means right now you have heavenly perspective. You have a seat of honor in the very throne of God. You are radiant and glorious as the Son of God. We are as He is because of what Christ did and our faith in Him. We are righteous and holy. And though we are in Christ, we are seated with Him, we are pure and spotless as He is spiritually right now in heaven, if you have a relationship with God, we still, however, function on earth with flesh and a mind that's still under corruption. In Mark chapter 14, verse 38, Jesus tells his disciples, watch and pray so you will not give in to temptation. Be vigilant, be eager, watch, be on guard, watch and pray so you won't give in to temptation. Why? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. The spirit, which is renewed, which is with Christ, united together, it's willing. Why? Because there is no sin in it. It's completely pure, righteous and holy, united with Jesus. But the flesh that we still operate in, in this world, is weak. It's susceptible to sin and temptation. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He's saying, look, your flesh is weak. So it has to be a choice to give God your body. He paid for that body. He paid for it with his own life, with his own blood. He's going to redeem that body one day when you meet him in the air. And you're going to be transformed. That belongs to Jesus. So he's saying, he's saying, give your body to God as a sacrifice, as an act of worship. Dedicate your physical body to the Lord. But not just your body. In verse 2 he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? The way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We don't come out of the womb knowing God's will. We don't, we don't become born again, begin a relationship with Christ, get saved, and instantly know the mind of God and everything that God understands. It's a process of being transformed into the image of God putting our bodies in subjection, not following the way the world thinks, the way the world travels, and not thinking the way the world thinks because the world is under the power and authority of the enemy. We've been called into a greater kingdom. And so we've been called to live for that kingdom. Our flesh is weak and needs to be brought into submission to God as an act of worship. Our minds are weak. So how we think, how we process information, how we feel, our emotions need to be renewed by God every day. In Hebrews, it says that by reason of use, they have attuned their senses to be able to discern good and evil. That means there is a attuning process. There is a growth process we need to go under through the renewal of our minds, the renewal of our emotions, 
so that we can be in alignment with God, which is why we fast and pray. We fast and pray to take time out to unplug from the world and plug into the presence of the Lord. The more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. Psalm says we become like what we behold. If you're beholding God, you're beholding the Lord, you will become like him. It's an awesome thought. And this is how we put on the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says put on the armor of God, and it lists several things there. This is how we do it. Through the transformation, through giving God our bodies in righteousness, our minds to be renewed. And as we put on the armor of God, it says we will stand firm in the day of evil. We will stand firm after the battle, after the, the attack. You see, Jesus may have won the war at the cross, but just like the American Revolution, we may have declared freedom on July 4th, 1776, but there were still many battles to wage before that freedom was realized. Jesus won the war at the cross, but there's still many battles we have to wage, many personal spiritual battles to realize that freedom. The enemy is still alive and well, and he's roaming the earth for a specific purpose. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking what? Seeking for someone to devour. He is looking at who he can destroy. He is looking for a way. Cats stalk their prey. There is a lion stalking your life, looking for an opening, waiting for a moment to pounce, which is why we're to stay alert, stand guard. He's looking for chinks in your armor that he can seek his teeth into. And he's looking for the weak and isolated, those who are disconnected from faith community, those who are are here, but not really here. You understand, you can attend church services on Sunday, be encouraged, but then you can leave here and still be open for attack because you're not in faith community. You're not in relationship. There's no, there's no one in your life that can speak into your life because you're isolated and disconnected. That's how, that's how lions attack on the prairie. If you, if you notice, like when you watch National Geographic and you see the wildebeest out there, big, smelly, dumb animals, right? They're powerful when they're together, right? You understand lions don't charge headfirst against the herd. They lose that battle. What do they do? They, they secretly position themselves. The males roar, that terrifying roar, which sends the herd in the opposite direction, heading towards the female lions that are lying in wait to pounce on the stragglers, to pounce on the weak ones, the ones that can't keep up, the ones that are disconnected from the herd. And this is what our enemy is doing. The, you can be a part of the church, but yet not be part of the church. There's no accountability. You're not under spiritual authority. And that leaves many areas open for spiritual attack when you isolate trying to protect yourself from other people rather than joining with the people of God to protect yourself from the enemy. Rather than letting God's protection cover you, you open yourself up to attack. And here are some ways the enemy gets a hold of us. Scripture is clear on how we as believers can come under not just attack, but even be oppressed and, ha and wrestle with what the Bible calls strongholds in our life, things that trap us into cycles of dysfunction that we can't seem to break out of. 
In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul tells the church, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And we want to break this verse apart. So the, the word foothold means a place of attack. If you think about the military, this is a military term. When you are positioning your military to go on the offensive, you're looking for a ground, a place of attack to set up your forces so that you can operate from there. So what he's telling us is that the enemy, when he gets an opening, he roots himself in your life as his base of attack where he can then leverage attack in other areas of your life. And how does he do that? Here specifically, he says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Notice it's not anger that's the sin. Did you know God gets angry? Pretty sure he is angry when he sent the flood. When he killed the firstborn of Egypt. When he was judging sin. I'm sure when he talks about God pouring his wrath on the earth in the last days, I'm sure God gets angry. How many times did he want to kill Israel in the desert because they're a bunch of whiny babies? Over and again, right? But there's a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. It's not anger that's the sin. What's the sin? Letting anger control you. You can get angry. How do you deal with it? Do you submit it to the Lord? Do you focus it on what's right? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to funnel that passion towards righteousness, goodness, and holiness? Or do you let another force direct how you wage your anger in the situation? Who are you listening to? See, anger opens the door, but how we deal with it determines who gets the foothold, the Holy Spirit or another spirit. James 3.15, he says, Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and what? Think about it. Jealousy, selfishness, are not God's kind of wisdom. What James is telling us is there's different wisdom in the world. This is why we have to be renewed in our mind. There's different wisdom in the world. Wisdom that's different, wisdom, comes from a different source. There is wisdom that's sourced in God, in his word, in his spirit, that leads to life and goodness, good things, peace, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, tenderness, grace, kindness, long-suffering, patience. There's wisdom that's sourced that develops these things, but then there's wisdom that is sourced in the demonic that has a different source. And here's what he says. He continues in verse 14 uh, through 16. He says, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, he says, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such earthly thing, things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. If you're jealous, if you're selfish, don't cover it up and pretend about it. Don't lie about it. What are you doing? You are strengthening the stronghold the enemy has in your life. It's increasing, not decreasing. And he says, wherever these things are, jealousy and selfish ambition, like, man, I wish I was 
in that ministry position. I mean, I wish I had what they had. I, I can't believe they, they were chosen over me. I can't believe that, that they were picked for that position on our team, and, and I didn't get that. I should have that position. You know, we, we, we are jealous and we're selfish. We think selfishly, but that's not God's kind of wisdom. That doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from another source. And here James says, that's where you find disorder and evil of every kind. That's where you find the demonic is where their power and their influence is being received, believed, and accepted. Where you find these demonic attitudes and motivations, you will find chaos and evil of every kind. Where you see wisdom sourced in the demonic, you will also find the demonic. Now a question around the area of spiritual warfare is very common. He said, if I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit, how can I be influenced by the enemy? How can the enemy gain control or power in my life? If I've been freed by Jesus, right, he set us free. If I've been freed by Jesus, then how can the enemy then gain control in our lives? We've already seen that agreement with demonic influence gives a foothold. When you give in to temptation, you agree with what the enemy is, is speaking to you, speaking through you. You grant the authority to the demonic to have a measure of control in your life. But 1 John 4, 1, here's what he says. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. First of all, John would not have had to write you need to test the spirits if it was not possible for believers to be influenced by other spirits. If it wasn't assumed that you're going to interact with the spiritual world at some level at some point in your life. Because if there's no possible way for a Christian to be influenced by the demonic, he would not have had to write that. But he didn't. He says test the spirits. Test. If it were impossible to be led astray, he wouldn't have had to write these words, which means we can and should expect to interact with the spiritual world at some level in our daily lives. Forces that are not of God. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul the Apostle says something to the church of Corinth that it's important to meditate on. He says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus that, than the one we proclaimed, or if you, somebody say this with me, received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. If you received a different spirit, what is Paul telling the Corinthians? Well, the first thing, he's rebuking them out of love and concern for their spiritual well-being. And he's saying, you're not testing the spirits. You're not examining your influences, things that you're receiving and accepting in your life. You're, these feelings and emotions aren't being brought through the word of God and what you know to be true from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They weren't examining the claims of teachers to determine whether or not they were true or false teachers. They weren't examining. They were just believing everyone's, everyone's good. We're just going to accept what anyone says. They weren't examining the claims of the new gospels, st stories of Christ being preached, even if they contradicted what they had already previously heard and learned. And what else does he say? He says, if you received 
another spirit. That's scary. They weren't examining the interactions with the spirit realm in light of who God is and what the Bible teaches. They were just putting up with it. They were just accepting it. Think about what happened when they received the Holy Spirit. They were endued with power from on high to be witnesses for Christ. Many of them spoke in tongues. They had spiritual gifts. They had boldness. They became evangelists. They were once hiding for their lives. Now they're out preaching without fear of what might happen to them. The Spirit came upon them. The Spirit built them up, edified them, filled their hearts with love for the Father, adopted them into the family of God, took them from being orphans in the world to being sons and daughters of the Most High God. But here Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you're so fickle and so unguarded that when another spirit is presented or offered, you don't stand against it, you don't reject it, you accept it, you agree with it. The spirits that don't build you up, that don't empower you, but they discourage you, degrade you, accuse you, enslave you, deceive you, and perform false signs and wonders to lead you away from what God's purpose is for your life. And this is the root issue for many spiritual strongholds and the oppression we face in this life today as Christians. Many believers, and many of you in this room, you have supernatural experiences. I don't know how many times I've heard believers say, when they know their, their loved one was a, was a believer in Christ, that my loved one, my so-and-so, came to visit me. There is zero precedent in Scripture for that. The Bible says to be absent from the body, if you're in Christ, is to be present with the Lord. A visitation, a spiritual visitation, is it possible that that could happen? Anything's possible with the Lord. But there's no biblical foundation for it. So we make all these assumptions and we think, oh, my so-and-so is visiting me, but yet you're freaked out. It's scary. You don't know what to make of it, but it's okay because it's my so-and-so. I mean, th th this has happened more times than not. We need to recognize what's happening when it's happening. It's not your loved one. If they're in Christ, they're with Jesus. And except on a rare circumstance, might they come and visit you. This is the root issue for many spiritual strongholds. We're not examining or testing the spirits we're putting up with them. We're not listening or examining the voices in our head that are telling us we're not good enough, that we're still under guilt and shame for the things that we've done. We allow these influences to continue to feed us with this negativity that Jesus has specifically spoken, the word specifically breaks and reveals is not true. We've been told our illness is incurable. Our depression is just physical. God can't heal me or won't heal me. He doesn't do that today. I'm stuck with this issue for life. I just need to deal with it. This is just part of my personality, and I need to accept it. You're just an addict, and you need to just act like, you know, understand you're going to be an addict for the rest of your life. These are all demonic lies meant to keep us down and discouraged to squash our faith rather than let us be free in Christ to be who he created us to be. To enslave. Rather than going to Scripture to see what God says, that one, we are free. You're no longer a slave. You are free if you're in Christ. You're not an addict. You're free. You're not depressed. You're free. You're not anxious. 
you're free. There's no anxiety in heaven. And that's where you are. That's where you are. This is what the Bible says. So you're not a slave. But two, we also need to believe that those who believe will do the same works that Jesus has done and even greater, which includes healing and having authority over spiritual forces. You have authority. Wherever the kingdom of God is preached, the Bible records signs and wonders follow. He is the same miracle-working God yesterday, today, and forever. If he set the captive free yesterday, he's going to set the captive free today, and I believe with all my heart he's going to set the captive free tomorrow. If he did it yesterday, he's going to do it today, and he's going to do it again tomorrow. But instead, like the Corinthians, many of us choose to believe another gospel. We choose to believe that salvation and healing is only for the past with the apostles or in the future in heaven rather than for today. We can't experience that today because th that doesn't happen anymore. That was just for the past or it's for the future. But that's not what the Bible says. We receive a different spirit. See, back then, the Spirit was tangible. We read in Scripture, the Spirit spoke. He led. He called people out. He performed miracles. He was relational. He revealed future things. He gave visions and dreams. He worked in power through the believers. But today, the Spirit doesn't do that anymore. Many believe that. It's a different Spirit. He did it yesterday, but He doesn't do it today. And the result of this false gospel and this false Jesus and this false religious spirit is weak faith, defeated lives, people struggling for hope, medicating ourselves to death when the answer has been before us all along. We've been deceived into thinking our issues are just physical and not spiritual. Over and again, you see when Jesus healed many times, he dealt with a spiritual cause before a physical healing took place. Now, do I believe all sickness is demonic? No. But much of it is. We don't even consider seeking the Lord oftentimes before we go to a doctor and ask, what medication can I take? We've come into agreement with the lies we previously believed. And I think the struggle we have in this generation, in this day, is because when we pray for things, we want God to just solve our problems instantly. I don't want to have to battle. I don't want to have to struggle. I don't want to have to wrestle with things. We just want God to do it before we surrender to his will and simply trust him. But beloved, the word of God says without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is what activates what moves the heart of God. I read this story in my personal time this week. It just jumped off the page to me. I love it how when I'm in my daily devotional time just reading, you know, I try to read through the Bible a couple times a year, um, and I try to read in a different translation just to get a different nuance. I'm in the English Standard Version this year, and I'm in Joshua, reading through the book of Joshua. And in this chapter, in Joshua chapter 7, 
God has finally brought Israel into the, the promised land. They're, they're fighting the battles now. They just won the battle of Jericho. You know, walking around the, the city for, you know, seven times, giving the shout, the walls come tumbling down. This is such a famous story that it, it's in our culture. It's embedded in our culture. It's been that way for since the dawn of time. The battle of Jericho, such a famous story. So they just get done with Jericho. They're feeling all pumped up. You know, like after you, you, you win a game or something, you're like, yeah, it looks like we can, we can beat, we're unbeatable. And, uh, and they're like, God is with us. Then they go to the next city, the city of Ai. And they don't even send out their whole army. They just send out a smaller group. And they get decimated. They get defeated. And it throws the camp into such panic. Like Joshua and the leading priests, they fall down before the Ark of the Covenant. They're fasting and praying, crying out to the Lord because, like, what just happened? God said he's going to be with us. Well, I thought this meant we were going we to just have victory after victory. Matter of fact, in Joshua 1.9, God himself told Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, you said you're going to be with me in all these battles, that you're going to go before me, you're going to fight for us, we're going to have victory after victory, but here you didn't follow through. So either you're lying, or I don't understand. But our natural inclination is to think, God's probably not telling me the truth. Here he made this promise, but I'm not seeing it in my life. I'm not seeing it revealed. I, God, you said you heal. You said you bring breakthrough. You said you restore families. You said you, you're going to do all of these things, but I don't experience it in my life. They were supposed to win, but instead they lost, and it rocked them to the core. And finally, God responds to Joshua in Joshua chapter 7, you see, before they went into Jericho, God said, this city, this city is mine. You're going to dedicate this city to me. The entire city and everything and everyone in it is devoted to destruction. Do not take anything with you. Leave it all here. They destroyed it, and Joshua even pronounced a curse over it that if anyone tried to rebuild the city, they would do it at the cost of their firstborn son. That there's this curse pronounced on the city. But in Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, God tells them why they didn't win the battle. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has what? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they've become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies. Somebody say, you cannot stand before your enemies. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. God promised the victory. God was ready to fight, but Israel didn't keep their part of the bargain. A man named Achan took some of 
the precious treasure from the city, put it among his own stuff and brought a curse in the camp. What does this tell us? Why do we lose battles when we're guaranteed the victory, church? I believe it's because many times we're taking the goodness of God and his promises for granted. Deep down, we believe it doesn't matter what we do. God has obligated himself to come through for us. God has obligated himself. He promised to give the victory. He's just supposed to give the victory. So rather than putting away the things in this world that are devoted to destruction, we keep a little of the corruption in our pockets and assume God's not going to care. You know, God says, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. And I just think about what's in the world today. All the, like, you realize basically all of media is under the power of the enemy. What's in the news all the division, the fighting, the nastiness. If you don't turn on the TV and see demonic influence, you're blind. The music that many of us listen to that's filled with filth, degrading women, talking about unholy things, and we're constantly feeding that stuff into our mind. We're looking at pornography and wondering why we have intimacy problems in our marriages, in our families. We or harboring unforgiveness in our heart and wondering why we have destructive issues in our relationships. You know, there's so many things we're struggling with. But rather than putting that stuff away because we don't want to be weird or thought uncool or we don't want our friends to think negatively about us, we just continue to hold on to it and Ask God to work it out. We fill our minds and our hearts with so many demonic things, even things we become obsessed with. We wonder why we're riddled with anxiety, why our hearts don't yearn for the Lord the way we want them to, why we're overcome with depression, why we can't seem to shake the addictions or break free from them. Just being honest, several years ago, I was faced with the reality of my own addictions. I was addicted to pornography. And there are many times I was sick when I was falling into temptation again. I was sick to my stomach. I was like, I'm not doing it today. I'm not doing it today. And while I'm saying that, my hand is going to click on the computer. I felt powerless. Like I couldn't stop. Like there was something that was just like forcing me to do it. That's because I had come into agreement with what the enemy was doing in my life. I see now that I I was choosing that for comfort to medicate pain and struggle that was in my own life. And while I was choosing to hold on to it, I was powerless to fight it. It was only until I submitted myself completely to the Lord and said, God, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm going to be honest for the first time in my life. I'm going to admit I have a problem. I admit I have an addiction, and I'm going to submit myself completely to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm yours. If I have to lose my family, if I have to lose my ministry, whatever you have to do, I'll go through it as long as I'm okay with you. When I finally got rid of the idol, that's when freedom came. That's when freedom came. We have so many obsessive things, so many things we know are wrong. They're, you know, like you could just talk to somebody and you'll hear that. Yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but I just don't care. Yeah, I know I probably shouldn't be doing that, but. 
We already have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We already have direction of the Lord. We already know what the Word says, but there's something in us that just wants to hold on. It's these things that are devoted to destruction. Do you realize that one day this entire world is going to be destroyed and God's going to make it over again? And anything we put before the Lord, anything that, that becomes an idol in our life, it becomes something that comes into conflict and becomes a hindrance to our relationship with God and what God can do in our lives. It makes us captive to the influence of the, of the demonic. And this is not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to set us free, not watch us get tied up again in strongholds. Another problem I've struggled with my whole life, I've struggled with my weight. I've done every yo-yo diet known to man. Like every fad, I've probably tried. And my wife was just pulling up some pictures of me uh, like a day or two ago. Um, There's a family photo, and we were kind of laughing at it because I don't even look like the same person. I, like I don't even recognize myself. I know it's me, but I don't look like me. Like, I'm, right now, I'm in the best shape of my life. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying, here's what God did in me. My wife would always encourage me, you need to be more consistent with how you eat. You need to be more consistent with, with uh, going to the gym, being healthy, because she knew it was, I, w- I was wanting to lose weight. I was wanting to get healthy, but I just kept falling back into the same old cycles, like eating too much, eating too fast. Like, no matter what church potluck we went to, there wasn't a dessert that wasn't in fear for its life. Like, especially if there's, like, carrot cake or anything with cream cheese frosting. Uh, uh, I'm getting a little hungry. Um, but I would just, I would see food, and all that mattered is I got as much of it as I could as fast as I could get it. That's all that mattered. And I'd eat two or three portions enough to fill two or three people before I recognized I was even full. And I wondered why I battled with my weight all the time. But one day I was praying. I was praying about this whole thing. I was trying to submit this issue to the Lord. And God reminded me of the time in the nation of Israel where they had come out of exile and they had been given permission to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. This was a huge thing in the nation of Israel. And so they get back and they're, they're back in the land. Years go by and the city looks great, but the temple is still in disrepair. And God, through the prophet, speaks to the nation and says, Why? Have you built your houses that are flourishing? They're fancy. You've got these great places to live, but the temple of God is neglected. And then the Spirit of God spoke to my heart, and it says, isn't not your body the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're spending all this time with your comfort, all this time with your fleshly desires and what makes you feel good, and you're neglecting the temple of the Lord. And that broke me. And I've been going to the gym five days a week ever since. When it was a struggle to get there once or twice. So when you have a revelation of truth, and rather than fighting it, you receive it, God can bring victory in your life. My goal is to see all six abs before I turn 40, so you can pray for me in that. Right now I can see the top two, so I got two more to go. And I'm serious, pray for me, because it's a goal. I'm striving, first time in my life. But this is how the enemy works. As long as we're in agreement and believing what he's sending, we cannot be renewed in our mind, and God cannot give us the victory because we're too busy holding on to the things devoted for destruction. The lies, the deception. 
Oh, it's just, it's just Game of Thrones. It's popular. It doesn't matter how much garbage is in that. It's a popular show. I'm watching it for artistic value. Yeah, okay. Tell yourself that. It's okay that, you know, that this, this thing is filled with horrible language and disgusting perversion. It's popular. It's out there. And they, they bleep the bad stuff on the radio. Oh, okay. Keep filling your mind with that. See how it works. The enemy has got us deceived. And as long as we're holding on to things devoted for destruction, God can't get the victory. Remember, Jesus said to remain in the truth, and that's what makes you free. Freedom first comes by believing that Jesus of the Bible in his death and resurrection, so his resurrection power can take root in your life. But then acting on faith in his promises is what brings the freedom, breaks the strongholds that the enemy has been holding on you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 says, We walk in the flesh, but we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The way to freedom, if you're wrestling with a stronghold, a stronghold of negativity in your life, if you're wrestling with thoughts of suicide, if you're wrestling with feelings and, and emotions that are, you know are contrary to the word of God, if you are dealing with behaviors that seem addictive and you can't stop, if there's something in your marriage and in your family that continually drives you apart and keeps discord and disruption, if you know there's something that is stealing killing and destroying not rooted in god's wisdom but rooted in the wisdom of the world this is how we begin to break free the first way we break free is we break the agreement that we've made with the lie the deception or the influence of the enemy you have to take your thoughts captive you have to submit it to be obedient to christ which means enemy i'm not listening to you anymore i'm listening to god the word of god I'm going to break agreement. I'm going to come out of agreement with the demonic lie that I've been believing. I'm going to realign to the truth, renew my mind with the word of God to believing and listening to what God's word says about me, my situation, my hope, and my future. God's word, the truth, will begin to set us free. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to the slavery of the law. Your freedom that you experience is connected to what you believe in. You know, these believers in Galatians, they'd been set free from the law, from recognized Jesus fulfilled all this stuff. They were walking free. They were living the Christian life. Someone came in and says, oh, but you got to go back to doing the law again. And so what did they do? They, they came underneath that belief. They started following the law again, which came as a hindrance to the relationship with Christ. So they became slaves again to something that had already set them free. You can get tied up again in strongholds to become slaves again to your problems, your addictions, depending on what you believe. If you don't think Christ's sacrifice can set you free from every stronghold, you'll be a slave to that belief. If you believe you can't be healed or won't be healed or won't be delivered, then you continue to empower the forces that are holding you down. You've surrendered to their lies. But when we choose to come out of agreement with what the enemy is telling us, no matter how we feel, no matter how 
real the situation feels in the moment, you begin to break the power of the liar and open the door for freedom to come. The second thing, first thing we break agreements, the second thing to find breakthrough is we need to act upon our faith in the promises of God. James 4, 7 says, humble yourself before God. Somebody say, humble yourself. It takes humility to come under God's authority. To recognize your need, that you can't do it on your own. You come into agreement with what God says. Humble yourself, but then it says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He's not going to flee if you don't first humble yourself. But once you humble yourself, guess what? God's now fighting for you. And as you resist, the victory is on its way. Ephesians 4.28 tells us what this kind of looks like. He says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. It's not enough just to agree, yeah, I need to stop stealing. It means agree with it and then stop doing it. But then reinvest your efforts. Start working hard so that you can give generously. You're no longer taking from people. You're giving to people. You begin to act on your faith. This is what makes repentance real and the change uh, begin to flourish in your heart as a decision to come under God's authority. It's not enough to say something is wrong or, or agree that you've made a mistake or messed up if we don't do anything differently after we come into agreement with the Lord. It's like someone upset with their body weight and appearance but refusing to do anything different with their diet and exercise. And I know I've lived that destructive cycle. So we need to agree with the Lord what he says about our issues. Submit ourselves to him and then through faith in his power begin to resist the devil by making different decisions. And this is what brings you back out of the place devoted to destruction where the enemy thrives, where the enemy has authority and places you in the protective covering of God. One of my favorite psalms, and it's actually my wife printed it for me and framed it and put it in my office. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in Him. He alone is my God. Not my appetite. Not my inclinations. Not my temptations. God is my God. See, God is our covering. Our faith and obedience to him and his promises keeps us under the shelter of his wings. But as I said earlier, part of that covering, part of how we remain under God's protective covering to fight against the enemy and stay standing strong is God has designed the covering of the local church, not just to be a member and give your money. It's what many people think. I'm just going to attend here and give my money. It's more than that. It's being invested and rooted in spiritual community where people have access to your life in a very raw and real way. And this gets all of us. Pride, which is wisdom of the enemy, one of the things God hates, has infected the church to prevent this from happening, to prevent us from being under this covering. Part of God's covering is being connected to other believers in a very raw and real way where you are invested in other people's lives and they're invested in yours. 
in a raw and real way. Not where you walk in and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. You know, praise the Lord. Jesus got the T-shirt. We're doing great. And then you go home and you're sobbing because your life's falling apart. It's more than that. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 talks about we are put together to help each other walk in freedom. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. You're not that important. He's like, we've been brought into the church for a purpose. It's like if you see someone taken in a fault, taken in a sin, you are to gently and humbly help them out of that to help lift the weight of that burden. You can't know that they're struggling with sin if you're not invested in a raw and real way in their life. But how many of us try to stay as distant as possible from other believers for fear of getting involved in their messy situation because we're too good to help someone else or we just don't want to get involved in that that's their problem i don't want to hear that but yet we have a responsibility one of the reasons why the enemy has so much leverage in the church is because we're not walking in the covering that god has brought to the church we have a responsibility to one another to help bear each other's burdens, light each other's loads, and walk alongside one another. Not only do we do this for one another, but we have a responsibility to ask for help. Many of us walk defeated day in and day out. We're struggling. We're barely making it, but we won't reach out for help because we're afraid of what other people might think. We just want to battle it alone. But James 5, 13 through 16 says, Are there any suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will make you well. If you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven, praise God. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you may be healed because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We have a promise of God that when we humble ourselves and we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we confess what we're struggling with. I've messed up again today. I can't stop biting my wife's head off when I get angry. I can't stop looking at that on the internet. I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. We don't reject, condemn, and cast away. We say, let's pray. Let's put the power of God on this thing and see you set free. This is what it's for. But as long as you act like I don't need them, I don't want them involved, then you're stranded to fight alone. You're the weak wildebeest in the back of the pack. The proud try to do everything on their own. And because of pride, you place yourself on enemy lines without a band of brothers to fight with you. The humble submit to God. And they receive his grace. By humbling ourselves before our brothers and sisters in Christ and before the Lord, knowing we need a touch from the Lord, that's when God's power can work the best. And you know, in the American Revolution, the single most important victory in American history, we did not win this war alone. 
When 70-year-old Benjamin Franklin boarded the Continental Sloop of War reprisal in Philadelphia on October 26, 1776, for a month-long voyage, according to the battlefields.org, he was going to France. General Washington's Continental Army was losing the American Revolutionary War. We were losing. The hope and excitement spawned by the Declaration of Independence announced just four months earlier with Franklin among one of the signers had been replaced by the dread of impending defeat in the face of overwhelming military power of the British Army. They'd declared freedom, but it didn't look like freedom was going to come. So Franklin knew his mission was straightforward, if not simple. He would use his intellect, charm, wit, to and experience to convince France to join the war on the side of the fledging United States of America. Franklin's popularity, persuasive powers, and a key American battlefield victory were crucial factors that led France to join the war in 1778. France provided the money, the troops, armament, military leadership, and naval support that tipped the balance of military power in favor of the United States and paved the way for the Continental Army's ultimate victory, which was sealed at Yorktown, Virginia, five years after Franklin embarked on his mission. When British General Charles Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown on October 19, 1781, his vanquished troops marched through a corridor formed by the victorious forces. On one side were the Americans, and on the other side stood the French, a scene that mirrored how critical France's support had been. Independence had already been declared, but we were not strong enough to fight on our own. Freedom was ours, but it took many battles to realize the truth, and it took allies to stand in the gap to provide what we needed so success could come. When you're struggling in your faith, when you're struggling in your marriage, when you're struggling to stay pure as a single person, waiting on your spouse, when you're struggling in, to do what God's asked you to do, when you're dealing with supernatural things that are weird to talk about, and you don't know who to turn to, that is why the church is here. To stand in the gap. To fight with one another for one another. You see, Jesus rose with all power and authority. Wherever he is, miracles happen. And he's given that authority over sickness, disease, and even the demonic to the church. He says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. I've risen with all power and authority, so go make disciples of every creature. And these are the signs of those that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. They'll cast out devils. This is part of the birthright of the church. We are far stronger together than we are alone. As the band comes and the music begins to play, some of you, you've been struggling with some issues for a very long time. There are some lies that you have believed. Maybe even from childhood. There's some painful circumstances that you've gone through that's allowed the enemy to have a stronghold in your life, a place of attack, a foothold. Maybe there's circumstances going on in your life right now that you don't understand and you don't know what to deal with. Today is a day of freedom. Do you believe that? says, Jesus has set us free. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I know the Spirit of God is here. Where two or more gathered in His name, He is here among us. 
The authority of Christ and his kingdom is here upon us. You've been struggling for a long time. You've been struggling alone. You feel weak and weary, hopeless. You don't think anything will ever change. But beloved, I believe that the same God who delivered us yesterday will deliver us today. I believe the same God that healed me of my addiction and has helped me get healthier can do the same thing in your life. I believe the same God that can take a broken mess and make a miracle out of it can take your mess and make a miracle. And I'm so happy to be part of a church that wants to help share your burden, to help lighten the load, to help fight alongside of you, with you. And I believe today, if you're willing to stop fighting alone and to humble yourself before the Lord and begin today to begin to resist, I believe we're going to see victory today. Strongholds be broken down. Lies overturned. Sickness healed. And demons cast out. I believe today in Jesus' name, God's going to let freedom ring. been praying a lot about today and just in my spirit, I know that there's many people that God wants to touch. But beloved, some of you have been playing with fire. You've been carrying around things devoted for destruction. Whatever that is for you, it's symbolic. You know in your heart, you shouldn't. But something in you can't let it go. God is inviting you today to lay it down once and for all and find freedom. Be delivered. Jesus died and gave his life on the cross. He conquered death in the grave. He came back from the grave, from the dead, so that we could be free. And I believe God wants to get a great reward in your life as the strongholds in your life are broken down. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Abba, you're so good. You're mighty and you're powerful. And God, you know every which way the enemy's been able to deceive, convince us to believe lies. There are things in this life, there's so many issues of today, so many political issues that are causing division in families so much confusion in so many different areas of our lives. And many believers, God, have looked outside of your word to find truth. And they have found wisdom that's not sourced in you, but it's sourced in the enemy. And it's opened doors in their lives. And I pray right now, God, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, you would begin to reveal to us all those areas that we have compromised, those areas that the enemy has authority, the deceptions that we've been experiencing, that we've believed. And I pray, God, that your church 
would be humble before you and say, today, God, I want to I wanna come and I want freedom. No longer do I want to be manipulated by the enemy. I don't want him to manipulate my emotions, my desires, my thoughts. I want a renewed mind. I want to break free from this habit. I want to break free from this thing I can't stop. I, I want these thoughts out of my head. I want to break this discouragement. I don't want to deal with this anxiousness anymore, this health issue. I don't, I don't believe that it's over. I don't believe it's permanent like the doctors say because my God can do the impossible. God, I will just pray that faith would rise in us today and hope would rise, hope for a greater day, hope for a better tomorrow. Jesus, you said you'd come that we might have life and life more abundantly. You give good gifts to your children. And one of those gifts is the Holy Spirit, the source of power for healing, the source of power for deliverance. And I pray, God, that you would begin even now to get ultimate victory. As people respond, as they come humbly before you, God, you'd begin the freedom work even as they're on their way down. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.